new political thriller, All the Demons Are Here, which is out in July. CNN's Jake Tapper. Hey, guys. Good Welcome back. You. Good to see you. A fellow straight shooter respected on both sides. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's really <laughs> original. That's your, that you were the original straight shooter. <laughs> I don't think that I was. where it came from? That's where it came from. That came from. I asked because I said that Jake and I were both just two straight shooters respected on both sides. <laughs> that's not true. That, that is I was, true. That's, that's really? I, refer- I was the actual? Well, I, that's, that was the, that's, where, that's where we began referring to you and then me as that. <laughs> you sold a lot of t-shirts, Jake. Yeah, you made a lot of, you made a lot you. of merch. Yeah. Thank you for your help. I didn't know it was, it was uh, me. I didn't know mm-hmm. I was the original. Inspir- was it from when he was on the pod last? It was from, it was from when he was on Keeping It 1600, I believe. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Keeping It 1600. That was the original pod type merch. Holy smokes. I know. It's been a long time. Hillary's going to win. <laughs> right? She's got this. Everybody cool it. I mean, <laughs> speaking of that... So, last few weeks have made it pretty clear that the uh, the Trump show is back. It uh, sure is. I don't know if it ever went on hiatus. Yeah. Um, it's, it's different in this season. Yeah, I was going to ask. Like, this is now your third presidential campaign you've covered where the former president uh, is a candidate. Uh, difference now is he's been indicted twice, possibly more on the way, uh, related to his role in uh, trying to overturn the last election and incite a violent riot. Um, how are you feeling about going through all this again? It's weird, right? It's it's very weird, and it's it's uh, and it's strange to see um, who is deciding to be honest about what's going on and who isn't, right? right. I mean, the the uh, the Bill Barr uh, activism uh, talking about how serious this is, the Mark Espers, yeah. uh, and then on occasion you have a uh, Nikki Haley or Mike Pence. I mean, talking about these charges. And then, of course, Donald Trump giving these interviews and talking in front of audiences in which he admits everything. Everything. Strange legal strategy. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, oh, not to mention Chris Christie, I should say. I mean, but yeah. that's not, that's not, I guess, not as, as much of a surprise. But, um, yeah. And, I mean, it was always, throughout so much of this, it was always like, well, who is going to speak? Who in the Republican Party is going to speak against this? And it would be in 2016. Well, early on, everybody spoke against it, and then he started winning, and then they all shut up. Um, and then, you know, it's it's just odd seeing the cat because it's like once you criticize him, it's almost like you then put, get put into a category as as a Republican in a category of oh, well, you're just a Trump hater. Yeah, right. He, I'm not saying it's fair, but like by by Trump and by the base, so like they stop listening to Liz Cheney as if she's like some flaming liberal. Uh, same thing with Mitt Romney. Same thing with Adam Kinzinger, and on and on and on. But so it's always like now we see who are the people who are now going to try to say something. And boy, I saw, I don't know if it was uh, um, the Bulwark. Somebody did a list of like everybody who had served with Donald Trump in his administration who had come out against him one way or another. Brett Bear read it to him live on TV, I believe. Yeah. Fox News. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a list. It's quite it's a long list. list. It's just, I mean, like, if if one of those equivalent people in the Obama administration or the Bush administration or the Clinton they would be huge. Big story. Yeah, like, oh, can you believe that... I mean, Al Gore did tepid criticism of Bill Clinton after the Lewinsky scandal. Tepid. And it was like big news. Same thing with Joe Lieberman. But this is but this is like this is not that obviously. This is yeah. he he's a narcissist. I mean, calling psychological names. Uh, Bill Barr just said he's a narcissist. Yeah. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with the assessment, but like As there was, he's a threat. <laughs> right. He shouldn't be elected because he can't be trusted. Oh, and when I did the interview with Esper on Sunday, 
this was really surprising to me. Um, I said, well, I, you know, in the last few days, I've asked um, Stephanie Grisham, the former um, comms director, why, the, the question is always why. Why did he take these documents? Um, Stephanie Grisham and said, oh, it's just, you know, he's like a little boy and he has his toys. Mine, mine, mine. And then Michael Cohen had a much more um, conspiratorial uh, way of looking at it. Like, no, he, wa he wanted to do something with these, whether it was money or this, but he was going to, and I don't mean conspiratorial in a pejorative sense. I just mean, like, he thought there was actually a conspiracy of some sort. And I asked Asper what he thought. And he said both were legitimate <laughs> possibilities. <laughs> like, think about that. That's good. Because yeah. the Michael Cohen thing, you know, he's a little, he's a little aggressive, even, on, even when it comes to the spectrum of people who used to work with Donald Trump and have now disassociated themselves. He's, like, he's even on the more aggressive side of that. But like even Esper was like, oh, it seems like that's a that's a that's a credible possibility. I thought Mike, that Michael Cohen was a bad lawyer for Trump, and he's a bad lawyer against Trump. <laughs> yeah, but he also has the best window into his business dealings. And I guess I don't know. It's hard to tell now what if he's playing. He was playing a role for Trump as this attack dog. He called himself a fixer. I don't know that he fixed much. Now he's like a resistance hero. But he does know how the guy operates, and if he thinks sincerely that Trump might be selling secrets to somebody or leveraging them for some sort of economic gain, I mean, it's interesting. It's I worth mean, listening to. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Nothing would surprise me at this point. Right. That's the... They all could be right. What do you think about... Bill Barr is someone who went through a cycle of this covering for Trump around the Mueller probe. Right. And now has done a full reversal. You know, you've been... You've interviewed all of these people, many of whom who have been on, many of whom have been on both sides of being defenders of Trump and then antagonists to Trump. What do you find describes the moment that some of them have shifted? Is there anything that that any connection you make between who has a line and where they draw it? I think uh, um, I, I can't really explain it. I mean, obviously, personal experience plays a big role. A lot of these people think, and I understand why they think, or thought, well, this is the situation, he is the president, so I'm going to try to steer the ship and so the country doesn't go to war or whatever. Um, and I understand that. Um, I can't explain Bill Barr's position because um, what is it about the national secrets that is so beyond the pale that so many other things were not? Mm -hmm. beyond the pale like January 6th I would think would just be like okay yeah that would do it for me yeah, yeah I mean like even if you're like with him on the policies or like trying to steer the ship and so many people broke with him on January 6th and then some and then some of them kind of like crept back secretly yeah I yeah. don't I don't know I can't really I can't really explain it I mean I do I do see the I was inside trying to make it work and like now I just can't be silent or whatever but there's still people plenty of people who are still relatively silent yeah um, so there's this moment on your show last Tuesday where um, you told your colleagues in the control room to stop looping the B-roll. It was before. Yeah, it was before they looped it. That's it. They showed they showed it once, and I'm like, okay, we've seen it, but you guys know how cable works. It's like we have these live new pictures. Let's show. Let's just keep showing them. And I, before they started looping, I'm like, okay, we got the news value out of that. Done. And this is this is for people who don't know about B-roll of uh, Trump at the. Um, Cuban bakery he went to Versailles, after, Versailles yeah, very famous uh, 
Cuban bakery in uh, in uh, Miami, and he went to it after his arraignment. And your point was that he's just trying to make a campaign ad out of it, right? Right. Um, how do you decide, like, when it's worth showing your viewers what Trump is saying and doing, and when it's not? It's a, such a good question. I mean, I think um, as a general note, I am wary of showing any campaign event live for anyone. I just don't really necessarily see the news value of it. And if you're going to do it for this candidate, then you should be doing it for every candidate, like just out of fairness. Um, this was something I didn't know about. And like all of a sudden it was happening. Um, and I was kind of surprised and not really sure what he was doing. And I was like watching it in real time and figuring it out. Um, and I just think as a general rule, there's obviously there's a difference if somebody is the president of the United States, whether it's Joe Biden or, or Donald Trump or whomever, because they're the president and, you know, inherently it's important what they do, um, which is not to say that we cover every single public thing that anybody does, including President Biden. Um, I just think I, I just think that our, our bar has to be pretty high. Mm. And if they say something that it, like we did cover his speech that night. But we had discussed it, and we were not going to cover it live. And when he said something, we were going to like find a chunk, bring it to people, you know, put put it in context before show the show the clip, put it in context again, mm. and then discuss it. But I just think like we're in an era now where uh, a there are a lot of candidates running, and we have to think about fairness. And b you know he's incited violence, and it's not just theoretical. It's it's. We yeah. saw it on January 6th, and, and the death threats are, have always been going on, um, but, you know, we've seen actual violence and bloodshed, so I just think it's something we all have to, all of us in the media have to think about. So now that we are a few weeks out from the infamous uh, Trump CNN town hall, do you think it was a useful exercise? I guess um, the questions I, I, would, I would ask you this. Um, do you think that town halls, having a candidate take questions from voters, uh, are, are worthwhile? Just as a, yes. as a general Absolutely. Note. Okay. Do you think that the person who is the number, you know, number one in the polls by far for the Republican presidential nomination, forget Donald Trump for one second, just whoever that person is, should be included in that? I do. Yeah. yeah. So then... Look at this. He's got us in the ropes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, because I've thought a lot about this, because yeah. I, I, I didn't play any role in it other than... Um, which was the fucking problem. Which, which, <laughs> I didn't play any, I didn't play any role. I disassociate myself from that comment. I didn't play any role in it except for, like, covering it afterwards. But, like, um, so what would you have done differently at all? Would you not have done it live? The Is crowd. That, the, the, the friendly crowd, really. I mean, I agree with you, though. Like, as a general matter... So much time has been spent talking about this. I feel like there are a few formatting problems, like everyone cheering and then jeering Caitlin Collins was not great. Yeah. Uh, the live part, I don't have a strong feeling. Yeah, my, my view on this was the Democratic operative in me was happy to have it up there because he said a bunch of stuff that is extremely unpopular that's just going to come back to haunt him probably in the general election. So like the, the strategy to me didn't really care. Thinking about the journalistic value, I actually, I, I do think if there was... If there was an audience of undecided Republican voters, maybe throw a few independents in there. Maybe someone had warned them ahead of time, don't don't be hooting and hollering during the whole thing. Maybe that would have been better. Other than that, I don't know that there was anything else you guys could have done. So 
the audience is the same audience we have for all these town halls and always have, which is Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents for a Democratic town hall and Republicans and Republican-leaning independents for a Republican town hall. And it wasn't stacked with Trump supporters. It was New Hampshire Republicans and Republican-leaning independents. And, you know, I did, I did a Nikki Haley town hall um, a few days later, a few weeks later in Iowa, and it was the same definition of the audience. And, you know, by the end of it, she had really charmed them. Yes, she had she really had. done a good job with them. Um, and they were cheering for her. Um, but, you know, they were cheering for what she was saying, which was not, you know, belittling somebody who had accused her of sexual assault and, right. you know, won in court and not, um, you know, I, I mean, it was just, I think what people reacted to was the fact that a lot of Republicans are still enthralled with this guy. Yeah, and, and I think that's 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 really what honestly what people were were bothered by. And my view on that is like, hey, everyone, this is what we're dealing with. This is like the reality of the situation. That is the reality of the situation, and and the, you know he's a, he has a sixty seven percent approval rating with Republicans and Republican leaning independents according to a CNN poll today. Now that's down in a month from seventy seven, but sixty seven percent approval rating is still pretty damn good. Yeah, there's a there's there's also just I think a kind of uh, uh, viewer who's like engaged on social media, paying a lot of attention, who watches what happens on CNN like a sociologist and can't separate Trump saying things that are deeply unpopular with a lot of people, basically open to a national abortion ban, wanting to overturn the next election, uh, a bunch of heinous things about uh, the sexual assault claims against him, and, and are unable to separate that from people cheering for it, as right. if someone at home who might find that heinous we're like, well, people applauded. I guess it must be pretty good. Mm. And I do think that, like, Nikki Haley in, in your town hall, she said a lot of similarly unpopular things. She also said, I think, some, she said, she, she had some outlandish things to say about LGBT issues and what have you. And there was not nearly the same level of outcry or attention or concern, which I think speaks to an obsession with Trump that isn't particularly healthy on, like, sort of the media watchers either, right? Like, I mean, there is just sort of a, a, a focus and concern about the way he's covered that doesn't apply to the other candidates. I mean, I think one of the things that people were reacting to was um, people who don't like Trump were, oh, did have we really? Are we really going to do this all over again? Yeah, yeah. PTSD feeling. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, frankly, you know, the way he talked to Caitlyn, the way he talked about Eugene Carroll, like you know, it's 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 rude. And it's not pleasant for people who don't like him to watch him be rude. If you like him, then you like who he's being rude to. I don't know. It's Look, I don't think there's any easy answers to any of this. But I, I don't think pretending he's not the Republican, the leading Republican <clears throat> candidate for president, and that he has a decent chance of being the next president again, I, I don't think that solves anything. I think Caitlin fact-checked him you know, a, a ton. She knew a ton about the classified documents investigation. Like, she was way, I feel like she was, like, way ahead of the country because, like, all of a sudden now we're all experts on classified documents, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> Caitlin was there fact-checking him, knowing all the details, and he said a bunch of stuff that wasn't true then. I don't know. I mean, like, I'm, I'm not going to pretend any of this is easy. It's, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's bewitching. I mean, it's, it's troubling. But... He is the leading, you know, the fact that he'll go up and tell all those lies. I would rather, 
he go up and be calm and normal and talk about his policies, uh, you know, I, that would be much more pleasant as a viewer and as a journalist. So you guys have done Trump, Haley, and Chris Christie. Uh, I Pence, assume we did Pence. Pence everyone forgets about Pence. Poor Pence. Um, <laughs> so I assume they'll try to get Joe Biden to do one. Do you think... Yeah, everybody. Tim Scott, Ron yeah. DeSantis. Do you think on the Democratic side you would do a town hall with someone like Robert F. Kennedy Jr.? I would not. Okay. Why? Because he spreads dangerous misinformation about childhood vaccines. And I have... Um, I had a personal experience with him in 2005 when he became, well, professional, a professional experience personally with him. In 2005 was when he began in earnest his anti-childhood vaccine uh, campaign. He wrote a story uh, for Salon.com that was jointly published with Rolling Stone, both of which have since uh, it, right? retracted yeah. the articles, and you, Rolling Stone just completely disappeared. It was like it never happened. Salon has a page where they acknowledge what happened and et cetera, et cetera. But Rolling Stone is just like, you know, it's like Hoffa. I don't know what, you know, it's just gone. <laughs> under, but, the, uh, under the J. It might be. It might be. So the, um, I got it. It's a Jets reference. Um, so, so um, anyway, I, I just dealt with him and he was so dishonest in that yeah. experience. And since then, he lies about the experience uh, frequently as an example of how the media is co-opted by Big Pharma. It was, I, I did a story um, about the piece that he did for Rolling Stone. This is in 2005 when all this um, vaccine stuff was still kind of new. Um, all this, these lies about vaccines causing um, autism in kids. Um, and they're, it's completely discredited and it's, it's not true at all. But anyway, we did a story about it. Um, I, I called him and told him, like, we we're going to hold it a day. We we're going to hold the story a day, and we were going to, like, just do some more due diligence on his claims. Um, and then we ran the piece the next day. In his retelling of the story, he and I were working closely for three weeks on a terrific documentary about his discovery. Um, and... Corporate America killed it. And I called them up and I said, it's never happened to me before that I've had a piece killed. I can't believe this. Um, like, none of that's true. And like he's wow. out, he literally just said this the other day on a podcast. Um, it, was, it was like a minute 45 piece. It ran on World News Tonight with Peter Jennings the next night. I had had a million pieces killed. I was a, I was a new ABC. I had been at ABC News for two years. I'd had a thousand pieces killed by ABC News. Like, I mean, and it's just like, he's so dishonest. And like, so no, I, I, I wouldn't. This is, such a, this is such a media story though, right? Because like, that's an example of the system working. You had, you had editors, you had gatekeepers, right. you had fact checkers doing the right thing, doing due diligence, killing stories, retracting them if need be. Now we're in 2023. There's right. this RFK boomlet. Yeah. 20% of the country, Democrats apparently like him because of his last name. But you have Jack Dorsey, a billionaire, founder of Twitter, propping up RFK. You've got Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. Yes, a bunch of Republicans are propping him up because yeah. they view him as a valuable foil to attack Biden. But you've got Aaron Rodgers propping this guy up. You've got Elon Musk and David Sachs doing these spaces with him. And there's no there's no filter or layer right. in between these sort of credible sounding lies and anecdotes and stories that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. riffs off and an audience of people who are believing they're true. And I'm just like wondering what you as a journalist, how you feel about that, what you think people can do about it. Because to your point, I mean, like 
there have been resurgences of measles, you know, like diseases that... Um, Google Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Samoa and measles. Exactly. He, oh, yeah. I mean, there was a horrible incident in Samoa where some nurses screwed up, and um, the anti-vax people turned that into, this vaccine kills kids, or this, and he went to the island, and he propped them up, and then there was an epidemic of measles. Yeah. I mean... And kids he, died. Yeah, and... Um, I mean, I don't know what there is to do about it other than do what I do as effectively as possible, which is just fact check um, and make sure people understand what he's saying isn't true. He's still out there claiming that thimerosal's in, in thimerosal was his preservative that was in uh, some of these vaccines, and there was false accusations that this is right. this had some that. But it's been out of vaccines since like 1999, and the rate of autism is, continues to climb. A lot of this is just people being um, more aware of diagnosis. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there might be some chemical. I don't know, you know, all the reasons, but it's not the marisol and vaccines. Yeah. Yeah. And the, but anyway, I think he's dangerous, and I think, and when I say he's dangerous, I don't mean like his ideas make me afraid. No, I, I think he's dangerous because he tells parents not to get their kids vaccinated and the kids get sick and die. We should yeah, also hey. tell people, though, that Jake did, he was wearing an Eli Lilly hat and he gave everybody a Zempic, <laughs> which I think was like a weird... Move. Well, take the hint. I, it, <laughs> the good news right. is he just he just says this shit on podcasts, you know, and nobody takes that seriously. No, but, but he said, no, but he said, I'm now in the, I'm now a big pharma show. That's his argument. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, like, and it's just like I don't even know what you mean. I'm a big farm. What does that even mean? But I, I, I sort of got it. So I finally, I, I'm halfway through the Joe Rogan interview. I don't know why I did this to myself. Why would Cause, you? Because I have not. I've never listened to him, so I like wanted to see what what was going on here, and I get why he's both dangerous and why some people find him like because he looks exactly like his dad well but also and he, he sounds exactly like his mom he goes on and on and on about like this scientific study and this and this and he does this whole thing like don't don't take my word for it i think experts are bad i don't want to be one of those experts just read the science read this he's wrong about of, all this shit. i know but like how many people are you know and then so joe much. rogan's like hey uh can you google what he just said there about 5g causing leaky brains and then someone, someone's oh, Googling and they're the like fi- oh it popped honestly, up on google that's my problem i got 5g leaky brain <laughs> but, but see like this is a small this is one example of a larger problem you know there's been there's been so much attention on cnn in just the past couple weeks a lot of what there has been like navel gazing (laughs) around cnn and its management and 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 the ideology uh, uh, being represented on its shows but that is a tiny conversation taking place as this vast change as this massive shifts take place and it feels as though the power of an institution like CNN, MSNBC, major news outlets, that that power itself is all collectively shrinking. Yeah. As the gate, like with, so there are fewer gatekeepers around information and, and everyone in those sort of, those legacy outlets are kind of chasing the lies and misinformation that are being spread all the time by people like RFK Jr., by Trump, by any of a number of figures. And, you know, you just said, I don't know what I can do except go on television and try to correct it and, 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 and be accurate, but... Or just bring the right information to people. Bring the right information to people. But how do you see your role when you are one, one little star in a firmament of information, most of which is now not fact-checked at all? I mean, I can only do what I can do. I mean, like, I, 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 I mean I, it bothers me a lot the state of, uh, of the media, um, it bothers me a lot, you know, um, what Fox, you know, the $787.5 million settlement, 
um, that they had to pay um, Dominion. And that's just one of many such settlements. Uh, there was the whole secret settlement to the family of Seth Rich. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, and there's more stuff coming with Smartmatic and other, it's just, and they're just, other than the financial penalty, there seems to be actually no punishment, there's no disincentive for um, these networks that just like openly lie to their viewers for ratings. I mean, what, that's what we had here in the Dominion texts and emails was an open admission that Fox was lying not just giving a conservative spin on something, but lying. We are we are lying because we don't want to lose these viewers because they're going to Newsmax because they want to be lied to. Um, and like uh, there was a seven hundred eighty-seven point five million dollar disincentive structure, I guess. But like, I mean, who lost their job? I mean, was I don't know if Tucker losing his job was part of that or not. There's like whispers that it was, but I don't know. It just I, I don't know what the I don't know where the disincentive is for these people who have just openly decided to uh, exploit, um, you know, our, the freedom of the press and the freedom of speech that we have. It's 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 depressing. It's I don't. And this is not me trying to make an awkward turn to my book, but it is one of the reasons why one of the subtext or what's one of the plots of the book is about the rise because the book takes place in '77, and one of the one of the points of it is the rise of tabloids and the rise of. Um, the Murdochs of the world in the 70s, because that's when it happened. Do you feel at all hypocritical, given that much of what happens in the book is not real? <laughs> <laughs> no, because it is fiction. Oh, it's fiction. Uh, <laughs> it, is fi- it, is fi- it is fiction. It's a good, it's an excellent question, though. I appreciate oh, that. Uh, sorry, that's stupid. <laughs> okay. It's fiction. Why was 77 a year? Why did tabloids pop up in 77? Well, this, that was just the year that, um, that was the summer of Sam. So that's when they really popped. That's when, uh, because the New York Times was not... Can you tell people what the Summer of Sam is? Sorry, so Summer of okay, for the, for, right, I forget, you have young, you have young uh, listeners. Ish. So, yeah. um, David Berkowitz was a serial killer in Manhattan. If you believe the stories. <laughs> and he was killing, uh, he was killing people. He was, there was a serial killer and just randomly killing innocent young people uh, in, like, outer boroughs, uh, in Queens and, and the like, in the Bronx, I think, in Brooklyn. And it was terrifying the city. Um, the New York Times was not particularly uh, aggressive in its coverage. I think they probably just thought it was like a local crime story. For New York, a challenge of local deaths. <laughs> <laughs> some see serial killers, some yeah. see prolific worker. Yeah. Yeah. A summer of turmoil, a period of regrowth. Sorry. All right, sorry, I'll stop now. <laughs> right. Um, so now I'm trying to, I'm like racking my brain to come, come up with a funnier one, but I can't. It's yeah. good. It was good. Um, so, um, yeah. So, I mean, so the Daily News and the, and the, and the New York Post really popped and their sales went through the roof. Like they just, people on newsstands, uh, just, just grabbed them and, and couldn't get enough. And then the serial killer, David Berkowitz, um, and then this, and then he, then he wrote to Jimmy Breslin, a New York Daily News writer. He wrote, he wrote a letter to him. Uh, and that's when that's where the name Summer of Sam came. He was like before that he was called like the thirty nine caliber killer or something like that. And then Summer of, a Son of Sam came. And then um, yeah, so it just became so in so in the book and all the demons are here. I have a similar type of Murdoch character moving to DC, starting a tabloid called the DC Sentinel, and then wanting a Summer of Sam type of serial killer, uh, so that they could to do the same newsstand sales, but. One of the things that when I when I researched Murdoch for the character of Max Lyon, who was based on Murdoch, 
it was just amazing the stuff he would say, um, just openly admit about what how, what he thought sold and why it was important to do that, um, and you know what he'd been doing in Australia and the UK. And it's rage and fear. Do you think Fox should be treated as a legitimate news organization after all this? You, I know you're saying this because in 2009. A week after my son was born, um, in the, why putting on him? What did he do? In the, he wasn't insane. That was my follow-up. In, 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 in the haze of seven sleepless nights, um, wow! The uh, uh, you guys, uh, the Obama White House, had launched a campaign saying the Fox is not a legitimate news organization, and I asked Robert Gibbs in a gaggle. Uh, why was it appropriate for the White House to label this organization? Which I, in my, I was looking for the world, for looking for the fellow credentialed member of the White House press corps. But what I said was sister organization, which I regret very much. Um, <laughs> the, uh, why, you know, why was it was why was it legitimate? For, why was it um, responsible or appropriate for a White House to say that about a credentialed news organization? That was the question. Yeah. Um, which I've been. Uh, did Did Bobby Gibbs take it well? What What did he say? Um, he basically asked me to turn, he said, you should turn on, uh, and then he alluded to when Glenn Beck show was on, yeah, yeah. you know, turn on whatever. And I'm like, I'm not saying why, uh, and this transcript's out there for anybody who wants to read it, but I'm not <laughs> saying why would you not say that show? I'm saying you labeled the whole thing. And, and also the other context is, um, who was the white house? Who were the, the major Garrett? Who's a legitimate journalist with CBS yeah. news now? Was the White House correspondent for Fox at the time? Yeah. They always have yeah. a beard. They kind of hang out there. To Look, I, with I do remember that incident. I just asked the question because I was interested in what you think now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I should have should have known that you would remember that I would remember that. <laughs> I um, I think that the Fox of two thousand nine uh, is not the Fox of two thousand twenty three. Um. I understand why Obama and the White House were going on the campaign. I still think it is a fine question for a reporter to say, why is it appropriate to do this? Um, if I were in the White House press corps now, and you guys were doing it and whatever, I don't think I would ask that question. Yeah. I, I do. I mean, even reading through all the Dominion stuff, I, I was I was like, what? <laughs> all <this laughs> like, stuff, so, like so, the opinion stuff you get, so like, but just like the coordination, sort of the, like, you know, just admitting that it's for money and ratings, and I mean, it's just, it was wild. It and was no wild. journalistic standards at all. Like uh, Maria Bartiromo's, the source for all that stuff was some crazy woman who talked to ghosts. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. It was a forwarded email, essentially. And um, <laughs> and it bled into the news side, like you know, hundred uh, <laughs> percent. No, the uh, so I think the most shocking thing to me was reading, uh, you know, quote unquote, straight news anchors talking to the opinion people and saying, like, I I told the decision desk to put Arizona back in the Trump column. Um, and it's like, first of all, Arizona was never in the Trump column, so what do you mean back in the Trump column? Second of all, what are you, what are you even talking to the decision desk? I w it would never even occur to me to think it was appropriate to, for me to reach out to the decision desk. But in that wild world where, like, let's just say that I want to reach out to the decision desk, I wouldn't even know how to do it. Like, there is such a firewall, I wouldn't even know the big first way to do it. I would never want to do it. Um, it's crazy to me. And then that same anchor uh, said that he told them to slow slow roll the Nevada call. I, I just, like, this is crazy stuff to me. It does, it, 
you know, this idea though, and I, and I do agree that this, you know, something has shifted, but like this idea that you can have serious news people on one half of your channel and then fomenting rage and nonsense and fear and misinformation on the other half of your channel, as if that that's sustainable, seems to have been like a larger problem for Republicans. This idea that they can have their serious policy Paul Ryan types while winning elections on the backs of Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene and the kind of the racialized and sort of, uh, uh, um, you know, the fear mongering that has sort of become the, 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 the main way in which they draw people out come November. Like the idea that they, these two things could exist in parallel forever. It just seems like it wasn't true. It wasn't true for Fox. It's not true for Republicans. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I wouldn't ask that question today. I mean, I think they're, I, I think that they are, I think that they are different, uh, which is not to say that they were great in 2009. Yeah. But I think that uh, I think that it is it is a different situation now. Um, and again, I f I really felt like I was kind of standing up for Major Garrett, uh, who I thought was a really good reporter and a friend and was a colleague. And the other reporter, the other White House reporter, was Wendell Goler, who Wendell Goler, who, who passed away in the last year. May he rest in peace. Also, just like. Both good I can't say straight shooter without looking at you and laughing, but like, <laughs> but like, just a just a solid reporter. They were good but I wasn't, reporters. But I wasn't, good guys. Yeah, yeah, no, but I wasn't even coming at it Our from the perspective of that 2009. No, you're, question. but you're saying right. You're saying I'm saying that there's a larger bit of there's a there's a self deception that seems to go on on the right that tries to separate their kind of whatever their intellectual serious. Uh, 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 policy operation that that has sort of conservative values from some from some bygone era, and then this sort of folk, this sort of like this sort of rage machine, and well, that the idea that they kept them separate was never true, it was never possible. I'm open to the argument that you know the Wall Street Journal news organization and the Wall Street Journal opinion pages can coexist, and I'm open to the argument that you can have like a, a serious news division or news shows and then like opinion shows at night. I, I, I'm open to that argument. What is what has changed, or maybe I'm just—I don't know—maybe maybe I'm just more aware of it, or, or but it seems worse. Is just the degree to which it's just based on lies, just lies, not um, conservative opinion. This is how I view the world because I'm a conservative, um, but just lies. And I, and I and I like for instance, I you know. MSNBC is opinion at night. It is. I mean, Chris and either Rachel or Alex and, and then Lawrence, I mean, the, and then Stephanie, like, it's opinion, mm -hmm. generally. Um, and, you know, I don't, you could argue, like, I don't know that it's the healthiest thing in the world to have preaching to the choir television, but it is based in fact. Uh, and what they, you know, and what, what I, you know, I mean, I hear the way Hannity, like Hannity attacks me or goes after me, and I, I don't, you know, I'll hear about it like a day or two later or whatever, and like, but he says things that just aren't true. It's just insane. And I don't, like, you can't even combat it. There's no even attempt to try to get anything in the realm of real. Can I ask you about a moment of radical candor yeah. on the air with you? Uh, we, were, we were thinking back on your storied career, and it is storied. You were interviewing... Wow. Uh, a gentleman named John Bolton. Yeah. And uh, you, oh, made a, the coup, the you made a comment that you don't have to be a genius 
to stage a coup in a foreign country, and he got offended by that. No, I said you don't have to be a genius to stage a coup. I was talking about in, in America. Sure, okay, sorry. <laughs> and he took offense to the idea that you don't have to be a genius and said, I've staged coups in many places. <laughs> what was it like for you to have someone just admit to staging a coup on air? Well, he, I mean, he kind of retracted a little bit, but uh, it was it was a kind of, a, I didn't really know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> You want to be more specific? <laughs> like where? Let me tell you, someone who's staged a few coups. <laughs> yeah, it takes some serious preparation. <laughs> yeah, that was that was an odd moment. That's just like the the perils of or the perils of the the opportunities and perils of live TV, where people just say things and like what? <laughs> Roll that back. Yeah, I, and sometimes you don't necessarily catch it or even know how to react to it because it's so bizarre and like. You might like come back to it like thirty seconds or a minute later because your brain is still kind of like. Did you just... <laughs> I don't think I followed up immediately. I think I followed up like a minute or two later. I think I had to be like, "Quick, go back to a sec- to something you said like a minute ago," <laughs> because um, because my brain in real time was of like, course. "Wait a second, I think he just admitted that he did a coup." <laughs> it was odd. I will say that if the uh, that if you look at the way that Donald Trump attempted to undo the election. It wasn't for lack of planning. It was like there was a lot of different avenues he went, right? I mean, he did the the, the challenges and the election boards, then the courtroom cases, then the state legislatures. Then, I mean, there was a whole bunch before they got to the violent overthrow. Uh, there was a whole bunch of so. I mean, like I don't think there was a lack of brain power there. They they were they were trying all sorts of ways. They were, they were. Just the guardrails held. But you know something? We did a a documentary. Um, called American Coup after, in 2000, either 2021 or 2022. And something Adam Kinzinger said was really interesting. And I don't know if he made it up or what, but it was the first time I ever heard it was from him. It's like you see a guardrail that a car has hit. And it's like all mangled, but it's there. And you're like, okay, so the, it, it held. It held. But that doesn't mean it's going to hold the, hold the next time. Yeah. When a car hits it the next time. It's been battered so badly it might actually break. I it's, think like a, about, it's like a very tight pickle jar. <laughs> a what? Well, like, like the, the, you know. Elaborate on that. Well, just a, the, you know, a, you open the pickle jar? Well, it's just like, oh, I can't get it. Someone else gets it. Like, I loosen uh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Metaphor. Is that helpful? Do you need a second yeah, metaphor, no, you think? Is that, I like the guardrail one better. No, I think, you know one. what? Let's, hey, let's just fix this. Make mine the guardrail one. <laughs> Give Jake <laughs> the pickle you're one. You're fixing it in post? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you take. Uh, first of all, I don't know how many pickles you're consuming at your home, but it, it, it does seem like you're you're arguing a lot to to your certain other person. That you seem stuck on this for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> you loosened it. I think we should move on. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you are one of the few reporters who, when you've interviewed Trump, has really like held him to account. Really elicited some interesting stuff from him. Well, I haven't. He hasn't let me interview him since the what, summer of 2016. I thought you interviewed him in no in Ju- Judge Curiel. Um, he it was it was like June 2016. He was going off on how it was the Trump University case, and Judge Curiel couldn't be fair because Judge Curiel's a Mexican, right? I remember. And that. Um, and I basically said to myself before the interview, I like he's that's just like the definition of racism to say somebody can't do their job because of their heritage or race, and. Um, and I just I kept on going until I finally got the question out. And that was the last time you let me interview him. Is that, like, talk a little bit about your strategy with someone like Trump. Is it, uh, I've got to just keep asking follow-ups, and even if I sort of 
go off my plan and don't get enough questions in. I've got to get him on this one thing. Yeah, or like, I, I think I think he's not somebody that you like. You come with like I have to cover all these fifteen different topics. You know, I have a question on energy, and I have a question on like foreign policy, and a question on no. You just have to come and ask questions, and then when there's something that you think is important, just drill down until you until you get there. I mean, I think that's. Um, that's been that's the most effective way, not just him, but like anybody who is a difficult interview, anybody mm-hmm. who is not, um, who doesn't come to like actually answer questions and like is does a lot of, I mean he, there are other people I've interviewed who are like this, but he's definitely you know uh, a, a quality into himself, but just like the filibuster, the change the subject, the insult, the 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 interruption, the, I mean. He, he does it all, and it's it's a challenge. It's a real challenge. It's tough to do. Yeah. I mean, I mean you saw, like, so you saw the Bear interview. Um, he interviews Bear the whole time. I mean, uh, interrupts, I'm sorry. He interrupts yeah. Bear the whole time, over and over and over. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah. that, that it's, it's just part of, the, part of what you get. Jake, you're doing the lead five days a week. Yeah. You're doing Sunday shows. Every other week. You're doing, doing, Dana does half of them. Dana does half of them. You're doing the town halls. You're writing three fiction three novels well Can since 2016 <laughs> why, why did you decide to become a why, when to, are you writing books a, 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 a novelist i a always i always um uh was interested in fiction i went to film school after college and then i wrote a novel in my 20s and it didn't it got me an agent but it didn't get published and then i kind of just took a break um and focused on reporting and then after the outpost i wrote this book about afghanistan called the outpost which was so uh, nonfiction. It was so meaningful to me. And then people, the publisher wanted me to write another nonfiction. I said, I, like, that book was so intense and it meant so much to me to tell the story of these soldiers. If I find something I care that much about, I will. But I, it really, it took so much out of me emotionally. And then this was just, honestly, it was just like, I've been thinking about a plot um, for the Hellfire Club, the first book in the series. And it was just fun. It was just an escape. Um, and after, and I think I started writing in 2015, 2016, and it was, it was really nice to get out of it. And also, like the first book takes place in the McCarthy era, and Joe McCarthy's a character in it, and I felt like I could say something about the era we were in by looking at Joe mm-hmm. McCarthy. Just like in this one, uh, all the demons are here. I felt like I could say something about um, charismatic demagogues and mobs and yellow journalism and, and tabloid journalism today by looking by like making something up fun about the. About the past. And you, you go into a room and you start writing and you stay there for hours. Did you guys you do don't writing as I, escape? I mean, my God. I, guess I, I don't understand that's it. That's not what I do. <laughs> what do you do? How do you do it? <laughs> so I do an outline first. Uh huh. And then I. And then what time of day is this? <laughs> Seriously, I'm not like, what, when are you fucking writing a book? You're on television every goddamn day. I do two podcasts a week. I'm exhausted. <laughs> um, I don't have a computer in front of me. I didn't even prepare for this. <laughs> Um, I, uh, I, I, can't, I can't really explain it. I know that I'm very driven and it's kind of crazy. Huh. I don't, I can't really explain it. I know my staff gives me shit about it. Like, how do you have time to do this? How do you have time to do that? All I can tell you is I, I find it enjoyable. I find it fun. What kind of coffee is that right there? Uh, just a nice coffee blend. Okay. Black, nothing in it. I thought Jesus you were going to ask a question about the book. Um, <laughs> speaking, no, of, no. speaking of driven, uh, Trump called you fake tapper. Do you feel like he mailed that one in? Yeah, that's kind of lazy, right? Yeah. He didn't. I, when did I, he? When did he do that? I don't even. I missed fake time. Uh, it was after I cut away. It was after I cut away. 
Uh, I said I don't want to see that anymore. That's just recent. But, you know, but, but because what happened was the narrative then became at Fox and elsewhere that like I didn't want to see uh, right. fans, you know, Donald Trump, uh, you know, taking in all this adulation. You wanted to censor and him. I stopped. Shadow ban. I stopped. <laughs> and like the truth of the matter is like I have spent. Like since 2015, watching Donald Trump be loved by his supporters, it's fine. It's, I see it all the time. Uh, I thought we were we were covering the arrest and indictment and arraignment of a president of a former president. I thought it was very serious. He turned the campaign event into he turned this OTR, uh, this off the record stop, into a, a campaign event. And I I was like, okay, we've seen it. Let's. And the only the only reason I said it out loud was because like we hadn't like taken a commercial break in like six hours. And I don't have a way of communicating with the control room. Uh, and I want, I didn't want it to see it on a loop. It's like, we've seen it once, done, move on. But they turned it into, he can't take it. He can't. He can't. He, and, he, and, he censor, and he's censoring. He's censoring. It's just like, okay, I mean, that's not true, but okay, whatever. And that's when he called me, whatever he called me on. on uh, truth. Yeah, but you know, that, um, that truth he posted was really incoherent. Do you, do, um, no, that but I mean, one? like, well, <laughs> well, that way, I mean, that one in particular, like I didn't, it was just a bunch of words. Yeah. I mean, I get it. He does that, but like, it was an odd one. Swelling. They don't pack the same punch as they used to when they were on Twitter. I'd noticed. Yeah. They're sort of, speaking of not packing the same punch, this is a bit of a swerve, but you know, you're a big Philly guy. I noticed that the Eagles lost the Super Bowl. Yeah. The Phillies well, lost the World Series. Yeah. Celtics. Bounce the 76 Don't forget our soccer team. I-95 is burning to the ground. Hey, hey, Josh hey, Shapiro hey, just fix that it. fucking day. <laughs> Don't say, I don't hear another word about I-95. My boy Josh Shapiro fixed that thing. What? Love Josh. You know Josh was four years behind me in high school? Really? Behind you? At Akiba, at Akiba Hebrew Academy. Oh, you thought he was older than <laughs> He was, um... Akiba. Isn't it tough when politicians are younger than us? It's you know, the first time that happened was, um... Like, that I really realized it was Marco Rubio. And I was just like, oh my God, he's... Younger than me, like I think Ted Cruz is one year younger than me. But Ruby was like five or six years younger than me. For us, it's Ron DeSantis. Oh yeah, he's only but like a year or two older. He's like forty four, forty five. Being a politician, it's, those are city miles. Ted Cruz looks a hundred years older than me. Just you take that. Hey, you're dodging the DeSantis question. DeSantis looks great, yeah, what, by the way. But why is Philly taking teams? all these oh, sorry, L's? Yeah. It's something about the teams. <laughs> the teams. <laughs> well, there was a question on the floor the, about the teams. That's uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, we could talk about our defensive coordinator. We can talk about the Astros hitting. We could talk about. I mean, there's a lot of... I just did that for this reaction. Just Why? Just oh, defensive coordinator. Gannon, who's now with the Arizona... Anyway, you don't, you don't like the sports ball talk? No, I think it's great. Can you give us one final pitch for uh, all the demons are here? Oh, are we done? Okay, so um, I think that you guys would like it uh, because it takes place in 1977, and it is, um, in addition to uh, having these plots that have to do with resonant things today, like tabloid journalism and mobs and the like. <clears throat> I think you'd like it because it's a wild year and 1977 was just crazy. Like, there were so many insane things that happened. Evil Knievel is like a, a, big, a big character in the book. Uh, Elvis dies, Summer of Sam. Tommy and I were talking about this. We're like, do we think people who listen to this podcast will even know who Evil Knievel was? Because I remember no, from being a kid. A is kid. that right? You do? So I was oh, yeah. not a fan of Evil Knievel. I, it, it didn't do anything for me, but like I had friends uh, who were fans of his, but he's just a great, very American character. He's he's a horrible motorcycle rider, just not talented. But <laughs> like that pilot who crashed into the, like the, the, they hit the swans and then crashed into the Hudson. Like that was cool. 
<laughs> Sully? Well, yeah. Sully Sullenberg? No. I'm no. just saying, Evil Knievel is famous for crashing that thing. Oh. It's a weird thing to be famous for as a pilot. No, he's more... <laughs> Sorry, you know what I mean? It was more sure. that he was... Think about to... all the pilots that didn't hit ducks that day. Okay, okay. Sorry. So he was, uh, he was willing to do these insane stunts. Right, that's and right. So that, that's what that, and he was, and he was, like, he lived in Butte, Montana, and he stayed in Butte, Montana, and he was just, like, this completely self-made creature, like, that he would only, this would only happen in the United States, and maybe only in the 70s. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just think it's a wild era that's fun. Uh, to explore. It's so see cool. That, see that Tom Cruise rides a motorcycle and then uses a parachute in the new uh, Mission Impossible movie? I've seen the, the that the little skit, the little uh, clip. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a skit. The, the clip. Man, just, the man did it. Man really, really did it. He's, he's nuts. Yeah, hey, it's cool. He'd he die does, for us. He does his... He would die for us? I think so. <laughs> uh, the fiends will keep him. Yeah. Tom, Scientology guys yeah. will protect him. Uh, anyway, the book is All the Demons Are Here. <laughs> it is out July 11th, but you yes. can pre-order it now. Yes, absolutely. Go get the book. Jake Tapper. Thanks, guys. Come back again soon. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks to Jake Tapper for joining us today. Everyone have a fantastic weekend, and we will talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. <laughs>